This is B2B Enablement, a Click.io podcast created to inspire sales and marketing leaders navigating digital transformation. I'm your host, Dave Carr, and on this show, we'll share actionable insights to build winning digital strategies and deliver better sales results with your customers. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode number eight of B2B Enablement. And today we're gonna be talking about the importance of marketing automation as it relates to your marketing strategy and particularly your marketing operation strategy. And so today I have a really great guest joining me. It's Michael Hartman, who is a marketing executive, uh, has extensive background in implementing and deploying marketing automation and MarTech in organizations. Uh, He was most recently with Freeman Company, leading demand gen within that organization. So I'm gonna let Michael do a real quick introduction of himself, and then we're gonna hop right into the topic of marketing operation and how you can make it work for you in your B2B organization. Great. Thank you, Dave, for having me, and I appreciate it, and thanks for the kind words. I, Yes, most recently was at Freeman, but uh, my path into marketing is a, not a straight arrow. I started out in consulting, actually, uh, doing IT and management consulting, and kind of took a, a left turn, if you will, into marketing by helping GTE in deregulation times to help build a 50 million household database. Yeah, and kind of evolved over that since then, but um, really my passion is that intersection of sales and marketing and operations, and um, Hopefully this will help uh, everyone kind of learn a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, marketing and sales is something we talk about continuously on this podcast, the the need to drive alignment and also how that relates to your marketing operations process. So I guess as we start to frame up this conversation, because we're going to have listeners that may be either very experienced in this topic, some that may not be as experienced, let's just start with kind of describing to me why marketing automation is so important in terms of the MarTech stack and how it really relates and benefits the marketing operations process in the modern B2B firm. Yeah, you know, I think um, one of the thing, things that's going on in the world right now is, um, well, I would say really the core is marketing automation and CRM. So thinking, you know, Marketo, Eloqua, HubSpot, Pardot, and CRM, Salesforce, Dynamics, and, and those ones, those really are the core of what pretty much every enterprise organization has in the B2B world nowadays. And, and I think I don't see any time that's going to change. And the, the, just those two by themselves present challenge. What's really become the challenge as a leader in marketing operations or marketing technology or demand gen is just the, the enormous growth of what I would call point solutions in marketing technology that um, have a lot of really good salespeople, right? And they know how to, to really burrow into organizations and that's fantastic the challenge as a leader in my space is, you know, how do you best figure out from the, the baseline of marketing automation, which is core to enabling, you know, really scaling what you do um, to add on different capabilities. That's the biggest challenge right now. Yeah, I agree. And especially when you consider, you know, the CRM really being the center of all of that, right? So everything kind of revolves around that. Um, in marketing operations is a fantastic way to to gain scale and, and efficiency and personalization. We talk about that a lot in terms of why that's sure. important. Um, as we go through the conversation, we can also talk about some other martech that may bolt around that. Sales enablement is always something, uh, you know, at least from my business's standpoint, you know, providing those solutions that help bring that together. Um, but just in terms of uh, martech, uh, how do you begin to look at that? 
within an organization and if you were giving advice to those out there listening in terms of how to properly make MarTech work, uh, how do you really get started and, and where does that where does that piece fit within marketing operations? Yeah, I mean, so assuming you're walking into a place that already has some amount of this in place, so that, you know, job number one is to understand what's currently in place. Once you have that, really, that's a, a bit of an inventory exercise, maybe making sure you have that document. Really, the next one is to understand, I'm a, I'm a big believer, right? Really, what you need to understand before you do technology is how is it going to work within how you go to market? You know, is your organization ready for it? Um, you mentioned sales enablement and sales technologies. I think there's a lot more that can happen where those are aligned. And things, you know, things like, you know, ABM, account-based marketing, to me, um, have been kind of an example of a challenge where you know, people came to me and say, we need to do ABM. And what they meant is we need to buy a piece of technology. And my point was, let's get sales and marketing aligned and how we're going to go to market at those targeted accounts or and do it at scale and maybe even try something first. But Alignment on that that process of going to market, alignment with um, really not just senior executives, but those next level down or two, the what we call the lieutenants in the organization, is really critical because you know getting the very top CRO CSO to support an idea is is actually not that hard. Right? It all makes sense logically, but taking that and implementing it and handling the change that's going to be a part of it, those need to be a part of it as well. So, really, it's understanding what you have. How do you go to market and then making smart decisions on a case-by-case basis of the technology that you want to add on, but ideally having sort of experimented with it with a smaller scale, I think, first. Yeah. And, you know, something that you and I have talked about, you know, off the record here was the need to really put people and process sort of in, in the front of that, right? So buying marketing technology for the sake of buying marketing technology uh, a lot of times can lead to very catastrophic results if you're not properly aligned inside the organization. Um, so maybe talk a little more about uh, specifically in your experience and how you've worked in other organizations, how you've seen that go well, and then maybe give some examples of what you've seen go wrong so that those listening might learn a little bit from from what not to do as well as what to do. Yeah, you know, and unfortunately, I think, you know, the, where it's always gone super well, it, those are harder to come by, I think, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I think people in process always should precede technology. And this goes all the way back to my consulting days when we did, um, a, good, a good example might be, it's a different space, but financial reporting kind of thing. So, you know, we used to do a lot of accounting system implementations in my old days. And you know, one of the things that the vendors wanted to tell us about was all their great reporting. But what we, we really needed to do is make sure that the system could support how we wanted to do the day-to-day stuff that doesn't, you know, sort of hidden, but accounts payable, accounts receivable, journal entries, you know, all those had to work every day perfectly to get the kind of reporting you could get out of these. And so, you know, one of the things that is easy to get caught up in is, is you know, the all the things or potential that a technology can do without understanding how do you make it work? Who's got it? You know, data is going to be critical to all this. And so if it's make, if it's difficult for people to maintain data, if it's difficult for people to um, keep it consistent and there's not incentives to support it, then um, it's a challenge. So 
in the sales and marketing world, I can give you know, examples of where I've had challenges before, really centered in the you know, handoff of leads to sales and getting the signals back to the marketing system to know, have those leads been picked up? Has somebody moving forward with them? Um, and what's that status so that we can get a better picture of what is our full life cycle from you know, top of funnel, the bottom of funnel, all the way down to, to closing. And ultimately feeding that back so that if we're really good, you know, we're, we're identifying where we had found the lead, what the source was, um, and we know what those costs. And we could start to build a model for you know, which, which channels are working better and which ones aren't, and then kind of going, okay. And then also in a case like today's world where, you know, we need to figure out new ways to generate more revenue or more pipeline. You know, we know which channels should be working and we can know how to feed that back and know, you know if we want to get X dollars in revenue at this point, we know that it takes as much time to get there in this kind of volume to get, you know, so you, you can get better at predicting what that's going to take as well. But that, you know, those are kind of two examples of very different worlds. But um, to me, highlight that you know, you've got to think about how is this technology going to impact the people who are doing using it from a process standpoint and from a data quality standpoint. Yeah, I think that's so important too, Michael, is, is the data piece of all of this. And, you know, and I have used Marketo, I've used Pardot. We're, we're a HubSpot house now. We, we use HubSpot for, for our marketing automation. But, you know, I think, especially in the B2B world, if you get especially to the edge where you're talking about like industrial manufacturing or, um, you know, any of those businesses that are historically kind of a decade behind, you know, marketing automation is still sort of viewed as an email tool, you know, like, hey, we can use this to batch emails or do simple tasks. But the reality is that that all of these systems, no matter which one you pick, you know, and it's all about picking the one that's the, the best fit from your organization. And if you need help on doing that, I'll put some resources in the show notes for, for some folks that are, are great consultants on that front. But when you're implementing those, I think that the important part is how you're using that data. And, I, and one of the most important things you said there was how you relate that to empowering your sales pipeline. Because I think that's where so many people go wrong is they look at marketing automation as a silo for, well, hey, that's just marketing. Well, no, that is the modern method of demand generation, right? And, right. Uh, and you know, I mean, hey, even, I mean, we're a SaaS company and, and even we, you know, struggle with it. I mean, it, it takes real work. It's like going to the gym every day, you know? Um, yes. But maybe, can you give us some examples of, you know, let's say maybe there's somebody listening that's in a B2B company that's, you know, maybe using 10% of their marketing autom uh, automation toolkit. What are some of the ways that you would see people begin to leverage more of the capabilities of the tool and how data would help them empower that? So, that, you know, the, big, the first one that comes to mind for me is really enabling um, the sales team to have visibility into what's happening with their prospects and customers. And so just about, and like you, I've worked with a number of different platforms. I've worked with the big ones are Eloqua and Marketo. And in, in both cases, they have capabilities to make the activity that they're tracking on those customers and prospects visible within the CRM application. So you can imagine, you know, as a salesperson uh, or an inside salesperson, if you're trying to understand what is this person doing, right, you can see what pages they've viewed on your website. Um, you can start to get, in, you know, intent information. You can start to build that so that instead of just immediately following up and, and picking up the phone or sending an email, you can make that, even if you have templates, right, you can customize that to that specific 
person or uh, organization. So the, because you have a lot more informed idea of what they're looking for. And I've seen that when I've had inside sales as well, where you know, that was clearly part of what was valuable. And that's to me, one of the reasons why one of the challenges that we had at, um, at Freeman was just a, a huge sales organization, right? Just a thousand plus people who are in sales and just sharing the message about this new capability of demand generation and, and marketing automation. And when I could have those one-on-one conversations and show them, look at this stuff that you can, you can see their, their eyes would light up because they, like, they weren't even realizing it was available. So I think things like that, they don't have to be big, elaborate, shiny object things. They can be small things that show the value of why we're using this technology, not only in the short term, because there are some short-term valuable things, but in the long term, that helped that enabled me to have the conversation about, and this is why we want you to do things like update the status of the lead. We want you to add these context opportunities so we know what it looks like when people are buying this product or service, so that when we get to something like ABM or targeted, you know, targeted um, account selling, then we have a whole lot more to go by on what we need to look for. And then ultimately you're going to be better as a seller too. Right? So I think that's the part is taking this and, the, and make sure the data is clean. And I, I think you were, you hinted around the word, I think you said going to the gym, right? The word that came to mind is discipline for me. And those kinds of that discipline of doing that stuff is really important to make all this work as best as it can. Doesn't mean it's gonna be perfect. Um, there's no, I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen any place even that that has been close to that. But if that is part of the culture that you build in, part of the incentives are there, then it's up to people like me who are doing marketing and revenue operations kinds of things and technology to try to make that as easy as possible to do within the systems as a part of the process that those people are doing. So it, it all kind of needs to work together, but. Yeah, I also, having had a little bit of a sales experience, I don't want to interrupt our salespeople from selling. At the same time, we need some of those signals back so that we can be the, as informed as possible on what's working and not working. And I think that, you know, customization, things that you, you can do within automation in today's terms is really connected to personalization. And I 100% reiterate the need of educating salespeople in particular around how marketing automation and the signal data that it can collect can help them through that personalization process. And and like you said too, Michael, it, it doesn't have to be overly complex. I think if you really want to find a way to get started, even list making, right? And I know like within HubSpot, there's just such every screen you go into, you have the ability to create list, add to list, manage your list. And even if that is you know, helping your salespeople build those lists to say, okay, well, hey, if I really want to go target someone who has had multiple engagements in either my email campaigns, my site visits, you can do that elementary with list. You don't have to go make some complicated if-then decision tree, you know, drip campaign. And uh, I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. You know, that complexity is enticing and we think that we need to make things more complex when in actuality, a lot of times the easiest wins are just doing things very simply. I am a huge believer in keeping things simple. You know, it's uh, the, the, you've heard of it called Occam's razor, right? Where generally it's the way people most understand it is, you know, the simplest solution to a problem is usually the best, right? And I'm a big believer in the keeping it simple. And, and part of that is, you know, I, I think there is an easy, it's easy to get caught up in, in um, the complexity and trying to solve for every single potential scenario. 
but it also slows you down because then you're double checking and triple checking. You're having to do things like lists and, and going, are, do we have the right people? Do we have extra people? Where if you keep it simple, you can move faster. And I think there's a lot of value in being able to move quickly and, and be just focused, laser focused on, on delivering what you need to do um, and knowing that it's not going to be perfect, but nothing really will be anyway. Even if you if you spent all the extra cycles to try to get there, it, there's going to be a problem, right? You're going to miss something. You're not going to you're going to have too many people. Um, yeah, it's just not worth the extra effort, in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. So shifting uh, gears a bit, I know you you mentioned earlier you, you touched on the t- the idea that lieutenants. Uh, the people that are sort of that mid-level management are really integral in the process and making it cohese, you know, between marketing and sales. Um, let's circle back to, to that for just a moment and really kind of take a view of how change management really plays into MarTech implementation. And if you could maybe give us some some of your own knowledge on what you've seen work well or, or not so well in terms of helping those lieutenants in the organization, whether they're in the marketing uh, department or, or more than likely in the sales function, how you're managing change management uh, with those individuals to ensure that you're going to be set up for success between the two teams. Yeah, I, I've come to believe that, that is really, really critical. So just, um, I think what I like about that sort of mid-level right, lieutenants is um, if you get them bought into a change and you help them understand what the impact is to them and their people, they can help sell it upstream as well. So they're in a position where they can push it down and sort of help build that discipline and, and those muscles in the organization at the, you know, the leaves and the tree standpoint, but they can also go help to sell it to their, um, their managers and senior le- levels, especially in sales. You're right. It's sales is the big one. The, you know, the, the one small example is very uh, unique, I guess, is that uh, when I got to Freeman, I had inherited a, a partially completed implementation of Marketo. And so, you know, the lead scoring model and things like that had been put in place. But fairly quickly, we realized that it, well, it, it was done in a non-standard way. So it was a little bit confusing. And so we wanted to redo it. And at the time, there were three chief sales officers not really an issue. They were all very supportive of the ideas of what we want to do at a high level. But when I went to them and said, we need to redo the lead scoring model and I want input from your teams. So I described exactly what I said. I said, I don't want your direct reports. I want like a level below that because what I want is I want people who have a little bit of skin in the game. They know what the details are a little better than this, the, the chief sales officers did and even their, their next level down. Um, but they are also, I said, I also want them to be empowered to make decisions, right? I am, that was the, to me, that was, a, again, I'm a, all about moving fast. So keeping things simple and, and enabling people to make decisions and then having, you know, what do you want to call it? Grace or forgiveness or whatever, that if something's not quite right, we know we can adjust. And that, that's the other thing I will say about all of this stuff. Right? None of this stuff is set in stone. We changed our, our least scoring model several times over the three years I was at Freeman. And there was no issue with that. We were just trying to get better and better and things that we weren't expecting that were, you know, um, inadvertently, you know, increasing the volume of, of MQLs that shouldn't have been, you know, we, we were very, con- you know, just continuously monitoring that. And I think those are the examples of, you know, I, I really got people that could help drive the decision. We could do it quickly. We could move quickly because it wasn't a huge committee 
And um, that, to me, that was a really important piece of it. And then they could share out to their teams or they could bring me in and we could go together about here's what this means. So when you get a lead and it's got this lead score, these activities, right? Then we could talk about the stuff that really added value, which was that, that, that visibility into what those prospects were doing. Right. And, you know, I have always been a fan. I think it's the Sheryl Sandberg quote, but done is better than perfect. Right. So being able to, to, to move quickly and, and be efficient and, and not be afraid that things are going to break. I mean, because uh, every implementation in organizations I have been a part of, whether it's CRM or marketing automation, nothing is ever going to go right. You're always going to have something unexpected. You're always going to be iterating on an existing process. And I think that's part of what makes it fun, right? Because you, you can also acknowledge that it is it is the journey. It's not an event. And over time, you're able to iterate on those, those functions. And then again, you know, I have yet to see anyone who has used the full breadth of any system. I mean, I, I spent over almost a decade at General Electric. We used Marketo and we were even still, you know, maybe using 60% of its functionality. So I think there's always room to iterate. And if you want to get more advanced, you certainly can, but don't let yourself get caught up in the idea that that has to be the solution, you know, going in. Um, let's kind of maybe shift gears. Uh, you and I, before we hopped on, we talked a little bit about best practices, sort of, you know, uh, the discussion of are there really best practices or are there best concepts? But could you touch on uh, a little bit of how you've perceived the quote unquote best practice concept with marketing automation and where maybe some people get that confused? Yeah. So, I, you know, I think um, the term best practices, when it's used by most people, it is, um, it is, I, I think it's often used to, to indicate what's the, the right solution, the perfect solution. And I'm just, I'm a firm believer uh, that having worked in so many different organizations in different roles, that there has not been a, a firm that I've been with that has operated the same, sold the same stuff, had the same people. And just so, again, going back to people in process first and go to market first before technology, there's not really one size fits all on a technology platform. You know, I, I, again, going back to it, right, I think marketing automation and, and CRM are kind of core, but anything beyond that starts to become, well, maybe, you know, you, there's got to be a lot more understanding of how, the, how things work. You know, I can't imagine, in fact, I've been talking, you know, to, to companies as I've been out looking, and, you know, some of them want to talk about best practices you've implemented. And I always, I mean, it's, they don't like to hear this, but the reality is there's not a one size fits all. No, do I think there are principles or concepts that apply pretty consistently across all of them? I, I do. I think things like uh, keeping things simple, solving for the you know the Pareto principle, solving for the eighty percent, not the hundred percent, um, and, and trying things and moving forward. Um, when it comes to technology, really understanding like is there a way we could achieve the same goal without going out and spending a lot of time and effort on new technology and really disrupting the way that we're going to market um, first and trying to see then can we scale. But if there, you know, is there a, a set of marketing technology components and process that I think you take from where you are to a new place and just drop in and go, okay, it's done, it's gonna work. I, I, I would be really surprised if that was the case. I would agree. And if you look at the landscape of MarTech, you know, I think, gosh, 
two two years ago it was the Martech five thousand. Now it's like the Martech seventy five hundred, or may even be eight thousand or more now. It's you never know, eight thousand for sure. It's it's just it's insane how much marketing technology is out there, and and basically anything you want to solve for there's probably a solution. Do you need calendar scheduling? Do you need a solution to help your sales cadence? You know, there's plenty of those. Do you need sales enablement? You know, we play in that space. So does sort of many others that provide good solutions. So I want to go back to your point of it, it has to be built around the goals and the objectives of your organization. And I spent most of my life in industrial manufacturing and, and B2B. Now I'm in a SaaS world they're pretty mutually exclusive. Are the concepts still there? Absolutely. But the way that we use things like sales enablement or something like sales loft to do our cadencing is totally different than an electrical distributor or an industrial manufacturer. Um, So when you've seen other organizations sort of go through that evaluation process of how do you pick marketing technology and make sure that it's aligning to your needs. Were there any best concepts that that you've seen that you would want to share with listeners in terms of how to make sure you're not, you know, pushing the square peg in a round hole? Yeah, I think um, what what really comes to mind. So in, in, in my in my role prior to Freeman, uh, we implemented Eloqua, and I, you know, it really came down to in this case Marketo and Eloqua. And to be honest, part of the part of the decision making was the other sort of infrastructure we had around. So we had a non-standard CRM that was uh, highly customized and on-premise. So, you know, neither tool had an integration out of the box. So we knew we were going to have to do that. Um, so the the other part of it was, frankly, it was kind of a language or terminology capability. And knowing that we were going to have to do a lot of custom work, Eloqua offered, in our case, right, in that case, Eloqua offered some of the things that Marketo at the time didn't, to um, do things like custom objects and, and, and you know, really expand the capability, but also the, the terminology they use for their different sort of the different components within the application were similar and made sense to the other executives who I had to go sell it to, right? Um, now, fast forward at Freeman, decision was already made. If, you know, Marketo was being implemented. I, I kind of helped, you know, got it through the finish line and then evolved it over time. You know, had Salesforce, it was, customized, but it was still leveraging basically, you know, the basic out-of-the-box integration. And on top of that, we had like the enhanced reporting capability. So when I look at the two, you know, I think I could have used either one in either case and made it work. And I think, you know, was Marketo a better choice than Eloqua at Freeman? I don't know. You know, you know, we could have evaluated it again. Um, was I happy with Eloqua at my previous job? And could we have done Marketo? Marketo, we probably could have done, although I've recently just been talking to somebody who's trying to integrate that same CRM platform with Marketo and struggling with the same things we had. But um, I think that is really the key is to be open about what is there. Most of these platforms can do a lot of the same basic stuff. And so I think part of it is what are people comfortable with? Uh, what do you really want to do? What is the ecosystem around it? I mean, that is another component, right? So, you know, Marketo has a bunch of uh, integration partners or partners who have integrated with them. Eloqua does as well. I'm sure Pardot does and HubSpot. I know HubSpot does. And, you know, so, you know, if you are, you should be thinking ahead a little bit on where you think you're going to be, you know, how you're going to go to market. But after that, right, it, it, I think you can win with just about any of them if you keep it simple. 
Agreed. And I think also something to keep in mind is creating a really good list of functions that you need it to to fill, right? And then also trying to figure out how all of those features and checkboxes on comparison sheets really relate to how does my business go to market and, and what are the core things that are really going to you know, affect driving revenue in the organization. Um, so quick question on, on that topic. In, in your previous experience, were you doing most of that internally in your organizations or were you using consultants from the outside to help guide or mix of both? Um, so at Enrisu, prior to Freeman, I, we did that internally all on our own. Um, and I, I agree with you, like that checklist. I actually still have from my old consulting days when we were choosing um, financial systems, right? I have a template that I use that does weighting and scoring and um, includes, you know, one time and recurring costs. You know, so you can really kind of look at it in a number of different ways. So I, I do use that heavily. And then at, at Freeman, uh, there were consultants that were involved in helping to to develop a strategy all before I was there, and then through through the selection of Marketo. So, um, you know that I've seen it done both ways. Um, it's hard for me to judge at Freeman if it was the right decision or not. I think it was a fine decision to go with Marketo. I think it was more about how did it get implemented. That was something that. I saw we needed to change over time uh, and move fairly quickly to do that. Yeah. And I think a lot of it has to depend on your organizational size as well. Um, you know, you and I both have some friends at LeadMD, you know, which is a, a great organization if you're looking to, to do implementations of things like Marketo or, or larger scale marketing automation. Uh, you know, my, my previous role at, at Mayer, you know, we used a company called Zinc Partners uh, and they're great. We did a, an implementation of Pardot you know, with them helping to guide us. Uh, but, you know, as an example from my life in SaaS, I mean, we did our own implementation of, of HubSpot. And one thing I would encourage, you know, anyone who's listening is, is really to stop and assess the size of your organization and what features and benefits you need. How does that relate to all the things that you're going to need to connect with? And so many platforms now have great onboarding resources, um, I'll speak specifically to HubSpot. I mean, their HubSpot Academy is incredible. Uh, just about anything that you you need to do, you can find there. Now, granted, if that's the path you choose, if you're a smaller organization, you need to be very realistic about the resources internally that you're going to have to allocate to that. But if you're an enterprise organization, if you're looking to scale quickly, if you're looking to do complex integrations and features, you know, personally, I would probably recommend <laughs> reaching out to an expert to help you do that. But but there's there's a lot of merit in just a good old fashioned meritocracy model. And just like you mentioned, you know, the weighted chart. How am I going to choose based on what my needs are, what value I place on those needs? Uh, you know, it may be rudimentary, but you can get a lot done even in the old ways in Excel just to make those decisions. Oh yeah. And, you know, so I have, you know, I I did bring in consultants when with Marketo. We use Digital Pie, and they've been great um, when I was at Freeman. And um, the one thing I would say is if you do bring in something like that, something like that, you shouldn't be abdicating. You need to ultimately make decisions for your organization, right? And it needs to be done with the business context and everything else because there are um, – there are you know any number of things you could do with these platforms, and 
they're great. If you've got the right people, they're great advisors. I mean, for me, when I, you know, I came in, I hadn't worked with Marketo. So I, first thing I did was lean really heavily on Marketo's customer success. And we had great, great people involved on our account from the get go. And then on, you know, digital pie and I brought people over you know, and then I hired people. Um, and it was always, you know, fairly hands-on, but I, you know, I, I got to the point where I trusted them at the same time, knew that it was ultimately going to be on me, whether it worked or not. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great, great point to leave everyone with there, Michael, is, you know, uh, no matter who you bring to the table, it is your name on the line. <laughs> and ultimately, if you're leading that within the organization, you're going to have to go through and make sure that the checks and balances are there to, to make it work. Um, so as we kind of think about, you know, wrapping up here, you know, one of the, one of the things I always try to do on the podcast is boil things down to a couple of key takeaways that anyone listening can, uh, either sort of, you know, put in the the memory bank and, and keep in mind for later, or if someone is actively trying to implement something like marketing automation and MarTech in their organization, uh, something that they could walk away with and, and really take action on today. So as we start to kind of wind down, if you were to think about maybe three key takeaways for anyone listening, um, what would those be? And is there any advice you would weave in that? So I think the first thing I would say is going back to this idea of best practices. So I really, man, it's a strong word, but I think that's a myth, right? The idea that there are best practices apply everywhere. I think every organization is different. It's nuanced. And so you know, having a core set of principles and knowing that there's going to be a couple of core pieces of technology. And after that, how you implement them and how you use them is going to really could vary greatly. It could be similar, but it's not going to be the same. And almost, I think that's the first one. Um, the second one is really what we talked about early on, which is technology should follow, you know, what you're doing in terms of go to market and people process first and understand that and your organization's readiness for other stuff. And, and then knowing how to do that, you know, then you can think about technology components and adding those on in a disciplined, deliberate way and making sure you're documenting it along the way. Documentation is often a piece that gets dropped in the fast moving world. So that's a piece that is good and it helps, you know, when somebody moves on, you're going to have that. So that's the second one is, is people in process before technology and then the third really is around when you do implement these things, right? They are disruptive. It causes change in the organization, which means that um, you need the support of the people, those lieutenants we talked about to help you make sure that it gets implemented right, to provide the feedback loop when things are not right. And so um, the, I guess sort of a corollary to the, you know, the, the um, every situation is different is also when you keep it simple, when you roll things out, try to keep it as simple as possible. Leave room for the people out in the field or whatever to have a little bit of leeway, but with some discipline and guidelines or, or you know, guardrails, if you will. And then have a feedback loop built in that so you can always be improving and tweaking it as you go along the way to get better and better. Um, and, and that, I think, those are the three things I would focus on. Those are very solid. I agreed. And I, I, I would like to also reiterate, you know, considering marketing automation being one of those foundational stones right beside CRM. You know, if, if you're not building on those two, you really cannot begin to look at any other MarTech. Um, 
you know, in future episodes, we're going to dive deeper into other MarTech systems. And in fact, I'd probably, you know, invite you back as a guest to talk about other MarTech systems. You know, uh, one that we, of course, talk about a lot in my business, we provide sales enablement solutions. Um, you know, in my, in my view, there's just such a need for that in B2B organizations to sort of sit in between CRM and marketing automation because it really kind of helps that connective tissue. Uh, so if you're interested in more uh, or understanding more about sales enablement and what that can do, uh, check the show notes. I will put a link uh, to our company's website and some additional resources that can help you there. Uh, I'm also going to include a link uh, to Michael's LinkedIn profile. Um, and Michael, in terms of best ways to reach out to you, do you prefer LinkedIn messages, uh, email? How can people get in touch? LinkedIn is perfect. And I, you know, I'm pretty responsive to those when I get them. Great. Okay. So we'll include that in, in there for you as well. I'll drop a couple of other links just to folks like Zinc Partners, LeadMD, if you're looking for uh, you know individuals to help consult you through your, your marketing automation research uh, journey. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that if you're listening that you found some great value in this. Um, uh, if you have not done so already, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. If you're liking the podcast, uh, give us a good, uh, good rating. That's how other people help find us as well and helps us distribute this content. So do that on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And we appreciate your time and hope to have you back for the next episode. Thanks again for joining, Michael. Thank you, Dave.